the Vet Alumni Podcast with Tech and Prem. I love our fans, but you know, you know when things aren't going well, they can turn on you. Um, that's the one thing that I, I would disagree with or, or dislike. But you know, some guys use their motivation. Some guys have a chip on their shoulder. But you know, they, I think that needs to change somehow. They need to be riding with us regardless of how things are going. You know, we're number one team and he's still playing well. And in some games, they'll they'll boo us. You know, but that's part of the the culture here, um, and that's a part of part of their way of showing they love us. But um, I said with a guy like Ben and the other guys, I, I think they need to stick behind him and stick by him as long as they can until he said until the horn blows. But even then, you know, he's here. He's he's given so much to this organization, to the city, um, on and off the court, that, that he deserves that respect and that that support. So um, I hope that that thing that worm turns for him and for the city of Philly to where they don't have that mantra as fans of being cold, rough, and one of the you know the worst in the league because we had a great time this year. We had a great outing, and when they came back and allowed fans back into the building, it was amazing energy that we needed and I loved. So um, I hope that changes for him, and I hope that changes for the city. Van Alumni Podcast. I'm Tech. He's Prem. Music producers talking Philly sports, and we start, I mean, of course, with Danny Green. Comments, comments, comments. Everybody always has something to say. And by now, we've all heard about this. He was interviewed on John Clark's podcast last week where he basically blamed the fans for the Sixers series loss against Atlanta. A little tone deaf to me, and I think that a few things play into that. Danny Green, yes, a veteran, yes, a multiple-time NBA champion, has hit some huge shots in the, in the NBA Finals. We know that. Oh, yeah. That said, this is his first year in this city. Understanding the culture of the Philadelphia fan base is not something you just inherit overnight. He's tone deaf <laughs> for that reason. And sometimes, Completely. like a lot of mothers would say, it's better to say nothing at all than something mean or something that could be taken in a mean way by a sensitive fan base right now. Yep, especially a guy who's been here for a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? That's exactly my point. Trying to tell us yes. how to be fans. Tone deaf, tone deaf. I mean, it's 1983 was the last time the Sixers hosted the trophy. Right. It's a and long time. And, and by the way, he's talking about the fans. He's only played in front of fans for like a few games. This is true. Uh, when you think about it, he, it's really true. Um, you know. So to talk about it, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. I think he was attempting to stick up for and take some of the uh, pressure off of Ben, some of the spotlight off of Ben as a teammate, but it went the wrong direction. The, the complete wrong direction. I, I think he just podcasted his way out of here. That's what I think. I, I th- uh, check on that one. Uh, the thing that sucks about this to me, though, is just like you said. I mean, I like the guy, a three-time NBA champ. He brought that kind of experience into the locker room. He hit those corner threes. Those types of threes is what we really, truly were missing against the Hawks. And if you would have had Danny Green for that series, the Sixers arguably win that series in six games because he would have hit those multiple big threes in the fourth quarters. Right. And he just... It just grinds my gears. He blames us for our not supporting Ben Simmons. You know how many years we supported Ben there's Simmons been, around there's here? There's been so much support of Ben Simmons in terms of just bl- people blindly supporting Ben Simmons no matter what he does. Constantly and making you know excuse after excuse for him. Right, because there was such an optimism when we drafted him, the excitement to watch him play. Think about how excited we were to watch Ben Simmons take the court after he was drafted out of LSU. The fan base was invigorated. Right. For the first time since AI was drafted. And now they said he had shooting issues that he wasn't a great 
great shooter, but then they said, but neither was LeBron. This is right. Coming out of college. They used that, and they pushed that to create this, you know, LeBron 2.0 kind of figure in Ben Simmons. And you could look at his stats. This is the thing that really kills me. Is you could look at his stats if you're like an agent going to yeah. you know in front yeah. of other teams, GMs yeah. or whatever, and you're like, well, he's done this, and look at look, he's a he's an All Star every year, Rookie of the Year, runner up Defensive leader. Player of the Year, most of the right. You could rattle these things off, yep. and even Ben Simmons' shooting percentage overall, when you rattle, it's like it's like he, he's like a great player. He's a superstar player according to a lot of his numbers. He's lacking aggression in key moments of games and really the only thing that can fix that is more mental strength and that mental strength has to come from confidence shooting the ball and if you don't have confidence doing anything in this life then you're not going to do it and you're not going to do it well. This is what the great Dr. J had to say in response to Danny Green. My, my motto was, you know, win without boasting and lose without crying. So that always worked well with the, with the Philadelphia fans because, you know, man, if I did something really good or whatever, I didn't have to boast about it. I just felt like it was part of my job. And uh, if we came up short or whatever, you know, I, I was not going to sit on the corner and cry because I knew it was, you know, we're not going to get any sympathy. You know, Philly fans are different, and uh, you know, but they're they're still greatest fans in the league. Straight from the good doctor himself, the legend is spoken. I'm telling you, man, he hit it on the head. Win without boasting, so AKA be humble. Don't yep. brag about your accomplishments. Don't talk to the media about how you're you're an all star and you're a defensive player of the year, AKA Ben Simmons. Yeah. Don't do those things and win and lose without crying. Which and means, B, remember he cried. Well, yeah, but that was, you know, for that, that was more of crying in a sense of emotional hurt from from letting the fans down. Yes, I yes. think what Dr. J is referring to is crying about blaming others for what happened instead of looking in the mirror. Yeah. When you lose, you look in the mirror. And, and those Dr. J teams early, they lost some heartbreaking games to the L.A. Lakers. Yes, they did. Heartbreakers. So... The, the mental fortitude that Dr. J went through, he knows he's speaking from a place of experience and Ben Simmons and Danny Green, they need to listen to that and really process that to understand what Philadelphia fanhood is truly about when it comes down to it. Yep, well said. Uh, Shams reported that the Sixers are now fielding offers for Ben Simmons and that they want an all-star caliber player in return. Not, uh, By the way, they're... Not an all-star player, an all-star caliber player in return. Uh, He also said interest around the league is robust (laughs) for Ben Simmons. Now, Prem, this sounds to me like a classic Daryl Morey special. Uh, The PR guy with a president of basketball ops job. This report that Daryl Morey hand-fed shams is the signal to the rest of the league that Ben Simmons is now available to the highest bidder. And there should be a high bidder. There should be multiple bidders because, yes, we go at Ben Simmons for his lack of shooting ability. Yes, we go at him for his lack of aggression in key playoff moments now in multiple postseasons. But when it comes down to it, the man carries a lot of value in the trade market. There are 30 teams right now at home. There are only two teams playing. So there's a lot of teams out there that are looking to improve, looking to change. Maybe even a team that made the playoffs that still wants to flip it around a little bit. And that happens every year, too. Look at Washington, for example. Yeah. That's going to be a team that's going to be probably changing a lot of things up. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the rumored teams that are already immediately interested are Minnesota, Sacramento, and uh, who's, who's the third team? Toronto. Honestly, the only team I want to hear about is Portland. Yeah, that's it. That is it. Because no matter you what, gotta it package takes. number one. You got to package some number one picks. Give, give them Ben Simmons. Maybe they want Fibel, and I know the fans don't want to hear that. But if you have to do it to get a guy like Damian Lillard, and you can trot him out there every night with yep. Joel Embiid, Seth Curry, and Tobias Harris every night. That's give to me. me that. Give yes. me that. Give me that. Give me that. And then just figure out the bench with the buyouts and the contract deadline, the trade deadline. A thousand percent. Now Ben Simmons, if you didn't see it this past weekend. He was completely humiliated by uh, Anthony Mackey at the ESPYs. Oh, if you missed it, here it is. Not everyone knows this, but Ben Simmons has been building orphanages like this one completely out of his playoff bricks. What do you like to say, little ladies? Thanks, Ben Simmons! Uh... Prem, my opinion on this is you reap what you sow. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, this humiliation was earned and deserved. Hey, there's no business like show business. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Anthony Mackie was horrendous, though. I mean, in all honesty. I'm so conflicted because he's such a great actor. And oh, I love him as, as an actor. Him in, oh, he's, he's tremendous. But as a host, I mean, I want to see... I, I, I want to have a phone conversation <laughs> with the guy that made that decision. Yes. As because an actor? give me somebody that makes tremendous. sense. Tremendous. Yes. As tremendous. a host... Horrendous. They, and this has happened in the past. They, this has happened in the past. I mean, but then you've had guys like Billy Crystal host events like this. Oh, one of the best. Give me a legend like that. Uh, yeah. And then maybe you'll get more people watching it. I'll even take Kevin Hart. Uh, just bring the obligatory exactly, Kevin Hart. because host. he's at least more relevant on a comedic level. Yeah, I, I agree. All right. We're two weeks away from the first practice and training camp, and we're about a month away from the first preseason game against Pittsburgh. A new report from our friend and fellow Vet alumni member Matt Mullen dropped in the Philly Voice. Uh, Former NFL fullback and current NFL Network analyst Michael Robinson said he doesn't want to name any names, but there are already players in the locker room that are questioning Nick Sirianni's leadership ability. Lane Johnson hit Twitter with the quickness. He strongly denied it, calling it BS. Prem, what's your reaction? Michael Robinson, the running back that slipped into a weird uh, Super Bowl ring on a team he didn't even play for, uh, got cut by the San Francisco 49ers in a third running back role. Michael Robinson, his opinion is a national opinion, a national take that is really just trying to upend something before it even starts because the internal reports from beat reporters and beat writers, people that we've had on this show are completely different. They come out more so along the lines of Sirianni has a great hold of the offense. The young players are really gravitating to him and gravitating to his way of teaching. So That's all I've heard. That's all I've heard locally from guys that follow this team, that know this team, that write about this team. So sure, are there going to be dissenters? Are there going to be people? This is football. Of course, you're going to have locker room squabbles that have to be taken care of by the veterans like Fletcher Cox and guys like that, Brandon Graham, who are the glue that are going to hold together the new with the old and make it all work, hopefully 
hopefully into a synergy that is led, led by a guy like Jalen Hurts, who now has a real wide receiver to throw to. Our offensive line is healthy. And I think that this is an attempt on a national scale to, you know, do what they do to Philly, rile us up, get us upset. But is there a lot of merit to it to really worry about as a fan yet? No. Worry when Nick Sirianni can't make in-game adjustments. Then worry. Right. I mean, look, we, we talk to the experts weekly. I mean, we weekly. talk to the people that cover the team directly. All we've heard about Nick Sirianni is positive things since the first press conference. We know that it was a debacle. And every time you ask uh, 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 somebody who's covering the team now, right. today, right. about Nick Sirianni, they always sort of, well, we know he started off that first press it's conference. Always it's always that. And if that's, the, if that's all you got... Then the rest I'm hearing is positive that guys are buying it. It's like, uh, yeah, and, and then a national guy <laughs> comes in like this, and then you got you got the you know New York Giant uh, movements like clapback sports and these fake Dave Gettleman accounts out there. Guys like this, <laughs> they like to rile up the fire because they see something and it gets them all tingly inside. Well, I got news for you, fellas. Yes, it's not all true. It's a lot of it's a lot of fodder to get guys like you excited. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's we'll talk a little, about, little we'll hot take. We'll talk with those guys. Clapback. We'll talk with those guys in a few weeks on the show. For our listeners, oh, I, I know we will. Uh, real quick, Miles Sanders. Uh, I've seen multiple top running back rankings. On one, he's ranked 18th. On another, he's ranked 28th. Uh, are we wearing eagle green colored glasses when we look at Miles Sanders? Prem. I mean, how could he be rated so low by the quote-unquote experts? You know, it is a very good question because when you look at some of the next-gen stats, which really break down a lot of different factors, like we went through in our Numbers Don't Lie segments for the entire NFL season, Yes, Miles Sanders ranks at the top of a lot of these very, very rare categories like acceleration, um, yards after first contact, um, long runs, period, right. break, breakaway speed, things like that. He ranks very high in a lot of those metrics. And on top of that, he does have good vision. Sure, is he far from being an elite back like a Derrick Henry, a Dalvin Cook, probably right now. He's the next tier after that to me, though. He would right. be the second tier after those guys in terms of ability and what you can expect from his ceiling is that maybe he could achieve that with an offense that plays well with, with Jalen Hurts. It really is going to come down to what Jalen Hurts does is going to determine a large part of Miles' success. Miles needs to have a really good season. I feel like these, these experts, they looked at a couple of these games where the Eagles had a key drive and a key situation and Miles Sanders fumbled the ball or, or Miles Sanders dropped a pass yes. that was in his hands. He has to improve in those areas. Yeah, and, and we heard I from his childhood coach uh, Scrap Wilson. Yeah. We'll have we'll have Scrap on again um, maybe before the season starts or before week one we'll get to talk to Scrap Wilson. Miles Sanders youth football coach uh, out of Swissvale, Pennsylvania. We'll speak with him again but Miles has always been a winner at every level. Absolutely. I, I think that's important to have a kid like that who Look, I know he's a beast. I know he's a beast. He I've seen enough to know that the kid's a beast. He just has to clean up these areas of his game. Yes, yes. And then we will have a, a strong little running back group because I feel like Absolutely. the group they're putting together could be great. It could be because Kenny Gainwell, and we'll talk to Thor about this, Kenny Gainwell is going to be something, I think, too. I, I think so, too. At least so on a role-playing level. Yeah, I think so, too. And Carryon Johnson, the running back that they, they signed. I, think him, and, I think him and Jordan Howard are basically jousting for a spot. Absolutely. One of those guys will get cut. I mentioned him because I assume that he 
he will win that that spot. He's a little younger. He's a little more. He's uh, got more fit. upside. He's yeah. a little more a fit for the type of system that I think that Sirianni's going to run, which is similar to what Indy ran last year, which is a three running back system. Right. They really use utilize three running backs. However, Miles will be the majority first and second down guy on on uh, our series. Yeah, I hope so. Well, he has to be because you got to feed a guy like that because he's a home run hitter. Right. We'll talk birds, rookies with NBC Sports Edge draft analyst Thor Nystrom on the vet line. But first, brought to you by ProLine Music, everything for the musician. It's time for Vet Fact. This is a Vet Fact. Tech, in only their third full season at the vet, the Phillies, on July 14th, 1973, Welcome the Houston Astros to town. Steve Carlton took the mound, not only pitched a complete game, but also had a jack. <laughs> Much like Wait. Shohei Otani wow. is doing now. Steve Carlton leads the Phillies to a 7-0 win in his three-hit shutout. Just absolutely phenomenal game to have been at, I'm sure. Uh, Mike Schmidt went 0-4 with 3Ks, and they still got the 7-0 win. Hey, people don't un- don't understand that fully, that superstars can have terrible games, too. And, and the team can still win. And, and of course, yep. we got to mention the Bull Greg Lazinski going yard in this one as well. Oh, yeah, Bull's Barbecue, uh, some of the best pulled pork sandwiches. Oh, ever. man, just over 25,000 <laughs> watching. This one at the vet. Ooh. And that was uh, your vet fact, July 14th, 1973. Wow. Hey, Prem, I'm starting to believe again. Uh, I knew you were going the to. The Phillies are making me start to believe that they could win the division. When I go silent on Twitter during games, it's because I have a feeling that even <laughs> if, it, if it doesn't look like it's going well at the moment, that we're going to win this game. So I, 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 I saw that multiple times. Uh, during these last three series, which, by the way, you did say... They had to win the last three series. And they did. And if they would do that, they'd be within three to four games of first place, and they're three and a half games out at the break, 44 and 44. And you know what, Zach? We found our closer, and his name is Ranger Suarez. I I hope so, because right now he's playing probably his best baseball. This kid has 35 innings pitched now, I believe, 33 strikeouts, and a 0.80 ERA out of the pen in clutch moments. He is not phased by the moment, and the guy doesn't even have to shave yet. Right. It's crazy to me. I just had, but he, Ranger Suarez looks like a guy to lock games down. He's fearless in the moment. What he did in Fenway. Uh, on Sunday was absolutely phenomenal. Getting a seven-out save, I believe, or a six-out save. Oh yeah. Um, in Fenway, by one, holding on to a one-run lead. Um, I, you know, I, I will say that the fact that they're healthy now makes a huge difference. You have your guys back. Didi, oh yeah, yeah. Didi's back in the lineup. Alec Bohm woke up and was hitting well. And Cutchin, McCutch since June first is just tearing the cover off the ball. Every time we say Father Time's hitting him, he reacts. He, uh, so we always, anytime we do talk badly about Cutch or you know. Negatively in some way, <laughs> he always just comes out with a jack. The he next does. Game. We'll get into it further when we go around the bases. But coming up, NBC Sports Edge draft analyst Thor Nystrom joins us on the vet line next. Pro line music. Pro line music. Pro line music. 
Located at 490 Lincoln Highway in Fairless Hills, PA. Broline Music. Everything for the musician, carrying all major brands. You find a better price, we'll beat it. Offering lessons in person or virtual. On-site repair service center, rental, recording studio. Broline Music. Call 215-736-8055. One more time. 215-736-8055. Yes, sir. Broline Music. Broline Music. Broline Music. Everything for the musician. Vet alumni. And now, it's the Vet Line. Answer the damn phone. We're joined now on the Vet Line by Thorne Nystrom, NBC Sports Edge lead college football and NFL draft analyst, and also a Rolling Stone award winner. Thorne, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Good to be with you, boys. Well, absolutely. From, yes, your, from your objective view, how would you grade the Eagles draft and why would you give them that grade? I thought they did pretty well. Um, you know, uh, coming out of the, the draft itself, I, I think that I gave them a, a B plus, something like that. Um, and I also do, I, you know, I grade the UDFA classes and then I, I grade like the whole um, like draft hall. You know, I like I combine everything. Um, I'm looking at my rankings here. So I. Um, you know, just quantifying the the, the hall as, as far as like my rankings, you know, uh, adding them up for each each organization. The Eagles came out with the seventh most talent in the wow. draft at, after having spent the 11th most equity. So at wow. least according to my rankings, they had the 11th uh, best return on investment. Beautiful. Uh, you know, based on based on it. So, you know, I, I thought it was pretty good. You know, I thought they had a solid UDFA uh, class as well. So I, I thought they had a pretty strong process. And then, of course, you have to kick in that they, uh, you know, that they're probably going to get an extra uh, first round pick from Indy next year. And, you know, and that they, they got, they, they have the third one as well. I mean, they might have three first round picks next year. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And we said on this show a couple times that I've personally felt it was like a two year plan with this quote rebuild. Yep. Um, and it looks like it truly will be with three first round picks. Granted the Carson plays 75% of the snaps in Indy. And I think he will. Um, but Personally, I like the steal that we got in the seventh round of Patrick Johnson. How do you feel about his potential as a, as a good value pick uh, for the Eagles at that position? Yeah, the um, you know just speaking to the Eagles evaluation process in general, I, you know both in in late rounds and UDFA, typically I, I like what they do. Um, Patrick Johnson sort of fits along um, that same uh, line of continuum. It's funny, I I comped him to Derek Barnett, so it was sort of funny that you know he ends up going wow. to the Eagles. I, mm-hmm. I I see some similarities there, you know, as far as motor, as far as scrap stuff like that, and you know Eagles fans kind of grown hearing that name. Uh, of course, because, you know, Derek Barnett was more of a mid first round pick. Right. Um, but t- to your point, getting a guy like that late and, and Johnson's not a bad athlete. You know, it's, it's just, you know, he, he's a little bit smaller. Obviously, he's coming out of Tulane, uh, but his RAS score was 7.25. You know, I mean, he, he tested above the 70th percentile size adjusted as an athlete. So mm-hmm. um, he, he's a strong player for sure. Pass rusher, you know, he'll get after it. Yeah. Thor, uh, fifth round pick, Kenneth Gainwell. What was your analysis on him pre-draft and how does he fit into this offense? Yeah, so I, you know, I thought I ranked him a little bit lower in comparison to, to some guys in my industry, but the Eagles even got him at a good deal 
you know, relative to where I ranked them. So, you know, I, I, I thought they did a really good job of, of sort of value shopping there. You, you know, you look at some of these other running backs uh, that got taken above Gainwell. I mean, like, um, you know, I, I live in Minneapolis, for instance, you know, like the Vikings took, uh, you know, Keenan Wongu, like with a mid fourth round pick, you know, j- just use one, for instance, uh, Gainwell proved plenty more in his time in, in college than, than Wongu did. And, you know, there's, there's some, you know, differences there, you know, and Wongu, you know, you might say he doesn't have a ton of, you know, uh, wear on the tire and he, he tested really well and all, all this sort of stuff, but, you know, Gainwell opted out. Um, he was a kid that, you know, there were some guys, you know, I, I had this joke during the, you know, after the draft, it, it was like the angel of death, the, the the angel of opt-out death like visited some guys and then other guys that opted out it just didn't affect them whatsoever yeah, you know right, they're they right. basically picked in the same spot Gainwell was one of those guys that it, it did seem to affect him a little bit um, he dropped down a little bit and I you know I thought that the Eagles got a really good deal there I I think he fits really well with Miles Sanders as well um, so I you know I, I think you know when you start to think about like you know the the, the sort of composition of that backfield going forward um, you have a couple guys that both of them are multi-dimensional uh, type backs that could do a couple different things. Um, Gainwell's not the most athletic guy in the world, but you know, and he's not the biggest guy in the world. Certainly, you know, I think he measured, it was 5'11", uh, 201, um, you know, a, a little bit uh, beneath threshold, but not, you know, disqualifying. And it's the same with his athleticism. You know, he, he was a 5.7 Raz, was a little bit above average in that too. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, his last full season, you know, that, that one season we got to see him him as the full-time starter on a, on by the way you know as you guys probably know a Memphis team that was absolutely loaded with, with guys to absolutely. give the ball to I, I believe Antonio Gibson was on that team one of the reasons you know people that year were like why did Antonio Gibson only get 40 touches last year coming out uh Kenneth Gainwell was a really big reason they, hmm. they just funneled him uh, a bunch of touches you know and you know you know th- there's nitpicks on him you know that he, you know again he's, he's a little bit smaller a little bit uh you know lacking in power and and just sort of of like a slightly above average athlete as opposed to like a stud athlete but um you know he he really good receiver um those chops you saw immediately he has he has some receiving receiver in his in his background and and that certainly translated uh once he you know became a running back full time so again i i really like the fit and i i, I like the value they got on him as well that brings me to the fourth round pick, uh, Zach McPherson. We have a gaping hole at cornerback opposite gaping. Darius Slay. Based on what you've seen, what you know, uh, does it, is this kid, uh, is he a starting corner in this league? I mean, he was graded out initially as like a special teamer. Uh, could he be a starting corner? Yeah, he jumped up for some people, um, you know, this past season and during the the, the pre-draft process because I, I think he tested uh, McPherson tested pretty well too. Um, I wasn't as big of a fan of him, you know, like I, I ranked him as a as a UDFA guy, um, mm-hmm. but again, like you know, I mean, he came in at five eleven, one ninety five, and then you know nine point five Raz. So you know, you jump up there, and then I, I think you know a bunch of uh, you know um, breakups and, and, and stuff like that. Um, I, I do like the ball skills. Um, he's just a little uh, sort of frenetic for me, um, I, I, I guess is what I would say about uh, McPherson. Um, he's a little bit jittery. He's a little bit herky-jerky. Um, and I, I didn't love, I, like, I, I saw some mental mistakes from him as well, um, where he would get torched, um, you know, just sort of uh, ill recognition, both in, in, in man and zone. Okay. Um, okay. So it's going to be interesting to see, like, um, you know, this, this 
you know, the, the play we saw last year, um, that along with the uh, the athleticism and the ball skills, is, is that something that he can sort of build off of? And to your point, uh, can you make an NFL starter off of that? I didn't think so as much. It, it, it's also because I, I don't think he's like, um, I you know, obviously he, he proved to be athletic. I didn't think he was as um, agile, I, I guess, as maybe he tested. Um, so that's going to be interesting to watch. You know, some guys just aren't your as much your flavor. And, and for yeah. me, McPherson was yeah. one of those guys. And I told you guys before, like, generally I'm with the Eagles, like, um, you know, with, with almost all their draft picks, you know, they're, it's, it's almost like they're picking from my board or, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> like um, well, that's a good this thing. This is one of the few exceptions I'd say in the past uh, wow. couple of classes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Miles Sanders, uh, th- just cause it's kind of relevant right now. Where do you rank Miles Sanders uh, in the list of starting NFL running backs? Um, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that. It's it's funny. I am doing the Scott Fishbowl, so I'm I'm like you know I'm in the middle of my slow draft right now. So I'm like uh, yeah. I'm thinking I'm thinking about these guys in in, in terms of fantasy. Um, with Sanders, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because I, I don't think that we have seen uh, fully formed uh, Miles Sanders yet. And I but like I I do think we we're starting to see. Uh, those flashes and that's that's what excites me um so like i guess my answer would be whatever the the number i would give you now i think he can be like 12 spots 15 spots higher um in the next couple years potentially we'll see yeah yeah we feel the same Third round pick, Milton Williams. Now, uh, Thor, initially I was upset about this pick, and not because of Milton Williams, but because of what I thought we needed most and who was left on the board at 73. Uh, But I'm hearing good things about him. Uh, Matt Mullen a couple weeks ago told us the guy's a freak in nature. What have you seen from Milton Williams that could be encouraging for the depth of this D-line? Yeah, I was going to say you were like the uh, the lead scout there, right? Like that was what almost caused the fisticuffs on uh, live TV with Roseman and that. <laughs> the infamous moment. <laughs> yeah, it was. yeah, he was. Uh, you know, I I was more I, I suppose with Roseman on that. I, I guess you know the, the the disagreement there had to do with uh, Ali McNeil and the, the the trade down and whatnot. Uh, right. Will, you know, Milton obviously like you know he he jumped up this past season. Um, you know, really flashed and stuff like that. Um, he's on the smaller side. He's he's an older prospect, but um, super duper athletic. Um, and you project him to you know to be in a three tech in the NFL. What we saw last season, it's absolutely going to play. I mean, he absolutely dominated last year. And when like um, you, you know we we sort of talk about this on the other end of the spectrum for guys that you know we we just mentioned you know an, an opt out and gain well guys that, that had less amount of tape. Those were typically the guys that you saw filter down the board a little bit more. You know where, where it's like you know th- that guy was just. Dealer. Right. That guy was had at a discount. Milton Williams is one of those where it was the exact opposite. Uh, 2020, the, the wonky COVID year where a bunch of these guys didn't have tape or, you know, less tape. He absolutely dominated. And then he, his pre-draft process, he also absolutely dominated. Um, so, you know, I, I so saw what the Eagles... shot the board. Yeah, he shot the board well. It, exactly. I mean, he, he tested as, as one of the most athletic uh, def- interior defensive linemen ever. You know, coming into the NFL, he had wow. a 9.96 rap. That's interesting, with, with, man. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a real freak. And, and like I said, last year, he was one of the best interior defensive linemen in all of college football. And so it's like, you know, it's like, is, is he just sort of this like late bloomer uh, athletic freak that's sort of last year just got by in his athleticism? You know, because he is a little bit, you know, going to the NFL, he is going to be a little bit under 
size is a three tech, at least starting out, how much more weight can he put on? Um, you know, like, because right now he's like, you know, 285 between that and 290. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how much more he can put on. Is he just going to be a situational guy? Um, I, I don't know, but you know, the Twitch is certainly going to play, you know, as far as a pass rusher. Um, you know, is he going to be a three down guy? I'm not sure. It, it seems like the, the, that question in some evaluators' heads, and then, you know, in conjunction with the fact that Milton Williams was a little bit older when his breakout came is the reason why he went a little bit later. But again, that's another one the Eagles uh, did where I I, I thought they got a a really nice sticker price discount on a guy that um, has a really nice ceiling. Ooh. Well, it's good to hear you say that. Uh, yeah. A lot of the fan base was confused with that pick, but I'm I'm optimistic with that pick as well. Uh, a player that slipped a little bit, in my opinion, that we got for a steal as well is Jacoby Stevens. How would you evaluate where Jacoby Stevens fell in the draft? I wasn't as big of a fan of Stevens either. Um, he's like a, um, you know, he sort of bounced between uh, safety and, and linebacker. And, right. Um, yeah, and for me, like, you know, some of those LSU defenders, you know, when they were on the field or, the, you know, used to situationally they really popped and and for me Stevens just never really did um you know in sort of the same way of like Michael Divinity um you know some of those different guys it, for me he's he's a tweener and a special teams guy um the Eagles I think maybe see him as you know developmentally slightly more um, right. so and that's okay you know we'll definitely see I mean last year they were uh, they and I were totally on the same wavelength as far as safeties because Kayvon Wallace was my boy me and Derek class and my colleague we we just love Kayvon Wallace when we were at the combine that you were just Kayvon 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 yeah, yeah I did too um, <laughs> yeah so well, you know this year you know you can't have him every single year where you see it eye to eye with the organization so you know true uh, Thor you mentioned the undrafted free agents earlier out of the ones that we signed who do you think has a realistic shot to actually make the roster let me take a look at the uh the, the the depth chart because that that's when you're when you're looking at the the UDFAs that's always the most like if if I'm if I'm the agent for a UDFA guy yeah um you know there are absolutely circumstances where I would not take the highest dollar value um I would be you know like before the draft I would study every single depth chart all 32 in the NFL at that you know specific player's position group you know if he's an interior offensive lineman or you know a linebacker or whatever um and then you know where they're they're sort of uh, you know shallow the, the shallowest teams on the the two deep going into the three deep obviously is, is where you want those those players uh, so looking similarly with uh, um, Philly I'm, I'm trying to look for a couple of good uh, uh, situations well the, I, I think one that that, that jumps Osbin was a, was a UDFA correct. Yeah. Just in terms of situation, obviously the, the Eagles are, you know, have been weak at, at receiver. You would think that um, there's going to be a couple jobs in camp uh, open uh, there. Osmond is another guy. You know, we talked. I make the joke about the angel of, of opt out death. Osmond was a guy that the angel of opt out death like lived at his house for a, a week before the draft. Like <laughs> he was he was on milk cartons. You know, like the, the, by the time the draft you know rolled around, um, you know you can't really say the kid. You know, kids like that made a mistake because obviously that was decision they made you know on their own recognizance and you know just as declaring for the draft was um but i think you could also make a case perhaps that um you know a guy like that or you know 
any guy that was had a big discount relative to what he was perceived to be before the opt-out season, um, you know, especially when you're in a good uh, position situation heading into camp like Osman, is a, a, a worthwhile flyer. I, I think that's one uh, to keep an eye on for sure. He, he's not, uh, he, Osman's not the, like, a, a, you know, the, the slickest athlete, like some of those A&M kids, um, but he can play. Uh, Osman can play for sure. So keep an eye on him. I thought another one to keep an eye on was going to be Jamie Newman, but he, he got cut before he even he got, got a chance to go to camp. the door. Shown Man, the door. They, yeah, I was really surprised by that. They, they didn't Me even too. really give him a shot. Um, you know, I, I thought they would at least bring him into camp um, and, and, and give him a shot. Because, you know, with, with Newman, you know, of course it was, he didn't play uh, last season. And then, he, you know, he went to the senior bowl and, you know, he hadn't, he hadn't played all season and just sort of got thrown in. And then, you know, the, this pre-draft process, of course, was all interrupted. Um, right. You know, the combine was interrupted. Everything was interrupted. And so to just um, sort of evaluate uh, this guy that I, you know, I felt, you know, just based on what we had seen in 2019, that was, you know, super worthwhile uh, flyer there, you know, at the cost of free. I mean, he was like, yeah, I, I think he had the second most big time throws in 2019, you know, like under Lawrence and stuff like that. And, you know, dual threat <laughs> yeah. guy reminded me a bit of, of David Garrard. So, so again, like what, you know, bring him into camp, at least let the kid play a little bit. Yeah. He hasn't played in a full year. You know, he, he only started for, you know, a little over a year in a super duper wonky collegiate offense in the ACC, the claw offense, you know, from, from Wake Forest. I don't know. I would have given him a, a slightly longer leash, but yeah. what do I know? Yeah, hey, we, for our listeners, I agree. we've been on the line with Thor Nystrom of NBC Sports Edge. Uh, Thor, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk with us yeah, about man. these things in depth. We'll catch up with you again before the next draft, for sure, to get your take on some of the 2022 guys. Appreciate you, boys. Thank you. Yeah, you know what time it is. We're talking about the fightings here. The fightings! The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball! It's time to go around the bases on the Vet Alumni Podcast. Oh my God! Deep to right field! Way up there! And way out of here! Well, Prem, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but I'm starting to believe again. This team can win the NL East this year. I think they can. I think if they are buyers and not sellers and they buy the right guys. Yeah. Um, there are some guys that I had in mind, like Jose Barreos, uh, the pitcher for the from the Twins, or um, Garcia, the center fielder from the Rangers. Guys that are gettable from bad teams. The Mets want... Uh... Barrios. Well, of course, of course they do, um, because he's a guy that if you add to a rotation that is contending with a good offense, and the Phillies' offense showed over the last three series against really good teams. Well, generally speaking, we know the Cubs were in a downslide. Yeah, but, but taking still, three or four in Wrigley, no matter how bad do. the Cubs are, hard is to tough. I mean, go get me Chris Bryant. I know he's available out there. Go get me Chris Bryant. That's a bat that you can add to this lineup. Or Craig Kimbrell. Give me Craig Kimbrell. I need a closer. They have to do something. You like Ranger Suarez, though. I, I think Ranger Suarez could be the closer for this team. I really do. I think the kid just has it, and you ride you ride that wave when he has the confidence that he's pitching with right now. He believes in all his pitches, and his location 
on uh, Sunday in Fenway was just remarkable. He, he yeah. was get, there was some pitches that he should have got that he didn't got, get that a lot of umpires call strikes. Yeah. There was a couple that were right there. That, mm-hmm. That's why he walked a couple guys. But the fact that he had the ability to stay in mentally and get the next guys in Fenway with one run lead is huge. Huge. So I think the Phils with a healthy offense now, they can come out in the second half and, and end up with a winning record in the you, second you half. You mentioned health. Acuna is done for the year for the Braves. Yeah, sad to hear that for a young star. Well, not sad for a Phillies fan. Of course. But, you know, from on a human level, that's, that's a shame uh, for the kid. I hear He's you. 20 years old, I think. The Mets are beatable. Uh, if you combine those factors uh, with this team, like you said, finally being healthy, uh, and the fact that they have the easiest second-half schedule of any team in Major League Baseball, uh, you're looking at a golden opportunity. All pending what the bullpen is or is not. Because there's going to be a lot of games like the one on Sunday in Fenway where we're up 5-4 to four in the 8th inning on the road in a clutch moment in August or September. And that game, winning that game could be the difference between winning a series, losing a series, and staying one game back of the Mets or three games back of the Mets at that point. Right. So that's what it's going to come down to for me is are they going to bolster the bullpen by buying the right guys at the deadline and or doing some kind of a shuffle with their position players. Maybe they let a good piece go to bring in a legit starter. Maybe yeah. there's, there's things that you have. Everything's on the table in a sense. Yeah, with, I mean, obviously Segura, McCutcheon. Segura's got it. He can't go anywhere. He's your best hitter. <laughs> I hear you. He's literally your best hitter. I hear so you. So Segura has to be protected, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, a guy like Reese, as much as he's having a great year, could really get a nice pitcher in here. Yeah, who knows if they're going to be buyers uh, at this point, but there's still negative vibes looming over this clubhouse. Uh, COVID, still unfortunately an issue. Yeah, um, I mean, I really wanted to see Nola versus Pavetta, although it didn't matter who was pitching against Nola, Pavetta. Alec Bone. How, how about Nick Pavetta just getting lit up? Lit up. That against was awesome. His former team throwing a temper tantrum on the mound. It's what you wanted to see. It was you know what I mean? perfect it's, television. It, it's what you wanted to see. Oh, perfect and, television. And I said last week that I felt more comfortable if you get to like three games behind. I'll take three and a half yes. going into the All Star break. Yes. When they did that, when they won on Sunday, uh, in Fenway, uh, Torres hitting one over the monster. When I see that, I, I'm I'm back in this thing now. Like, okay, they're at three and a half. And the funny thing is, simultaneously, as Ranger Suarez has all of our hearts pumping if he's going to do it or not and close it out, at those same exact moments, the Pirates were winning the game from the Mets in the ninth inning in New York as the Mets they needed blew a to save. Split. They, the Mets yep. blew the save. Yep. Simultaneously, the Mets are blowing the save, put us three and a half back as Ranger Suarez locks it down. Just that's what baseball is all about for me, especially headed into the break. You have right. you have a clean slate. You're zero and zero starting out the second half. Right. A quick mention that the draft was this week, and out of 20 rounds, the Phillies drafted 14 pitchers. I mean, you figure you draft 14, you get at least one ace. Well, I mean, I, I like I like the tactic. I like the technique draft wise because you're, you're you're throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks per se. You know, right? Obviously, I mean, taking a guy at fourteen uh, with a pedigree like that, I think he's six foot seven, tall kid, I believe. Right. Um, you know, high ceiling, high ceiling with a kid like that. Taking fourteen out of twenty, though, fourteen pitchers out of twenty rounds. It just it's the organization making it abundantly clear that. Their farm system is terrible, and that it's that they're admitting 
They're admitting right. that they have made all these mistakes. Well, hey, there's different steps to grief, right? Uh, the, the first step is what, de de denial, anger, frustration, acceptance, however it is, right? <laughs> we, we are at the acceptance phase for the Phillies scouting system of grief that we've dealt with. That's true. Now we're at the acceptance phase and then comes the change and the clarity. So let's hope that with some of these young pitchers they got, some of these young arms, that we maybe we did draft the next Steve Carlton. Hey, man, you never know. <laughs> yeah, You well, never know. It's unlikely, but you never know. Uh, let's, let's just curb our enthusiasm, <laughs> though, guys, because I, I got to tell you, we're over the moon of the fact that we got back to 500. Hey, 44-44 <laughs> with a head of steam, beating three good teams to close out the first half. I feel good about that. I think they feel yeah. good about that. I think... You know, some of the pressure that Joe Girardi was visibly starting to show on the field is going to ease up a little bit because they yep. can rest easy knowing that this lineup is what we thought it was when it's healthy. This lineup is a top 10 offense when healthy and working the way it should be. Yeah, absolutely. They just are. It just yep. comes down to can the pitching not blow the game? Even if you're up by four runs, you're not safe. No, you're never safe. You're <laughs> never safe with there the Phillies. There's no escape. Numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. Lie, women lie, numbers don't. Numbers don't lie. Look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. We just mentioned the All-Star break. It's numbers, and they don't lie. The All-Star edition. Tech, the All-Star game has come and gone, taking place last night, so I thought it appropriate to highlight some of the great All-Star game numbers from baseball history. Ooh. So one of the greatest players to ever swing a baseball bat, inevitably Ted Williams, yep. holds the record for most runs scored in a single All-Star game with four. Huh. He also holds the hits record at four, tied with Carl Yastrzemski and Joe Medwick. Oh, most Joe Medwick. Most of us aren't going to know who Joe Medwick was. No. Nah. It's important to note, though, that Ted Williams has driven in more runs in All-Star games than any other player in MLB history with 12. Wow. And he also leads All-Star history with 11 walks. The man mm. was truly in a league of his own when playing with other guys that were in a league of their own. He just wasn't. <laughs> the Say Hey Kid Willie Mays, though, I should note, has 23 career hits in All-Star games, which is first all-time. Wow. Including eight extra base hits with which he's tied with Stan the Man Musial. All these old-timers, their, their records still stand. Their records still stand. <laughs> Willie Mays had 75 at-bats in All-Star games. The man. That mark will never be broken, man. Probably He's also not. number one with 20 runs scored, and he appeared in the second-most All-Star games ever, 24. The number one, though, in that category is the late, great Hank Aaron. Yes. Played in 26 All-Star games, and if you noticed on Monday night, Zach at the Derby, all the batters don number 44 in, in honor of Hammer and Hank, who recently passed earlier this year. Yes, sir. The only inside the park home run in All-Star game history was from Ichiro Suzuki. Only one. Wow. Hard to believe in all these years. Yeah. There's also only ever been one Grand Slam ever in the really? All-Star game. One Grand Slam? By Fred Lynn. Fred Lynn. What That's year was that? I don't have the year on that okay, one. Okay, there I don't have the year on that one. We, 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 we can find out. <laughs> I just have the numbers. Right, Fernando Valenzuela once struck out five straight batters, which is actually an all-star game record tied wow. with Carl Hubble. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, Nola had, what, 10 straight Ks in the middle of a game. Um, 
which uh, I think a record also on Sunday, Pablo Lopez of the Marlins set the record to start a game. Yeah. Nine straight Ks to start a game. straight Ks to start. Yeah. Well, Fernando Valenzuela had five straight strikeouts in the All-Star game, which is a record there. Wow. Uh, but the most Ks ever in the All-Star game in history overall of his career yep. is 19 by Don Drysdale. Wow. And He's all these old-time guys we get, still now, at the top. And now I got one for you that is kind of a recent history old-time guy, if that makes sense. Roger the Rocket Clemens. Ah, the Rocket. He pitched in the most All-Star games of any pitcher ever with nine appearances. Wow. And Philly pitching legend Robin Roberts started go. five All-Star games, which is tied for first all-time. Oh, okay, fine. I was waiting for somebody well, for Philly. I was going to say, there's not many Phillies on these lists I'm looking at. <laughs> The it's fact is that this team has only been to 14 postseasons. And we've 14? E- we've existed since 1883. <laughs> yes. So, eh, not good. But only five players in MLB history have won multiple MVP awards in the All-Star game. Willie Mays, who we mentioned earlier. Steve Garvey. Gary Carter, which is remarkable from the catcher position. <laughs> Cal Ripken Jr. And, of course, local guy from Millville, New Jersey, Mike Trout. Ah, there it is. There weren't many fills, like I said, after Robin Roberts on these lists, bro. But <laughs> tech, all-star game or not, numbers don't lie. It's time for Prem's Picks. These games are a blowout, a human lock. You can bet your children's unborn children on these games. Prem's MLB Picks, <laughs> and you have been brought back down to earth. They say pride comes before the fall. <laughs> I was 11-3. and three. Eight straight picks in a row. I got too excited about hitting eight in a row that I promptly dropped my next two picks. Yeah. The films did not sweep the Cubs, although we did I win three or four. I told you that the Phillies, that was a risky pick. Losing with Zach you. Wheeler on the mound in his worst start of the season is not how I thought that one would go. No. However, it did. And the Mariners couldn't complete the comeback to beat uh, the Yankees. They actually fell 5-4, almost came back to win. So, I'm 11-5 and after 16 picks. Still a solid mark. And here are this week's locks. Locks. Tech, little disclaimer. The All-Star break is tricky. On Friday, when most of these teams come back to play ball, there'll be either new energy, momentum that could have been lost, or magically gained by teams that were playing crappy before the break from five days off. Right. Who knows where they were, what what beach they had their feet up. Who, who knows? But gotcha. keep in mind that there are no starters announced for these games as of yet, so I'm picking two games for Friday with no pitcher matchups. Gotcha. Just going with feel. That said, I like the Padres to start the second half off strong and win in D.C. against the Nationals. Yep. The Nats were a team that surged a bit before the break and actually were battling with the Phils for second place there before the break. And the Padres came back down to earth a bit um, over the last 20 games. But I think they come out looking like the 50-plus win team they are in a very tough division in the West. Mm. Um, and I think they beat the Nats outright this Friday by a few runs. Lock. Lock. Next, I'll take the A's to do the same and start strong out the gate as they should handle the visiting Indians at the Coliseum. Yep, another another smart pick. And the Indians have one of the league's worst on base percentages, uh, bottom third of the league, and the A's are actually top ten in home runs. Um, they, they're only three and a half games behind the Astros for first in the AOS, kind of like the Phils with three and a half back of the Mets. And I think they start out strong at home in the second half, the A's, and, and get on a little run. So I got them this Friday night over the Indians at home. Lock. Lock. Hope I bounce back from that 0-2, Tech. <laughs> to recap, we have the Padres beating the Nats Friday in the nation's capital. Lock. And the A's to beat the visiting Cleveland Indians in Oakland. Lock. This has been Prem's MLB Picks. See you next week. Vet alumni.